we've been spending some time talking about Nehemiah and stuff. One of the things that, that struck me, uh, strikes me in life all the time is um, how it's the, the simple things that, uh, that just work, that make sense, but we always seem to get past the simple stuff, you know? It reminds me, uh, anytime you see someone who you really respect what they do, or you really, you really are, are struck, and uh, I don't know if you do this, I do this all the time, when I see someone who's, I think there must be some, some, like some great secret they have, you know, or there must be some great knowledge they have, or some great gift they have, and uh, every time I've found someone who's really great, and then I watch how they do the great thing, it's, it's always the simplest stuff. And are you like me? Do you, do you walk away and go, well, I could do that. But, but then we don't. Some reason we don't do that. And so there's this, there's this kind of giftedness to work from. I don't know if any of you guys have heard, heard the system. It's called uh, GTD. Have you ever heard of that GTD system? It's a business system. It means getting things done. Have you heard of that? It's this kind of great time management thing, whatever. All right. Well, it, it's kind of this, this big, big thing for a while that people got really into. And it's this uh, idea that, that it's all these simple things that you can do in your life to get things done. To, to, if you're a, do you have, make lists? Do you want to make a list to get things done? Yeah, that's a, one of those fundamental practices. See, uh, I, I should make lists, right, Chris? But I don't make lists. <laughs> you know, and that's okay. But, you know, some of those things that you can do. How many of you guys do this? How many of you guys, um, if you have to, how many of you guys lose your car keys? Or, or lose your cell phone? Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, cell phones. How many of you guys lose your cell phone when it's on vibrate or the battery's dead? <laughs> and why is that a big deal? Because you can't call it, right? <laughs> That's so frustrating, you know. It's in a seat cushion somewhere. How many, how many maybe, instead of losing your keys, put them in the same place every day? Like, yeah, look at that, see? You know what that is? That's one of those simple things that helps you as part of the getting things done idea. He says, uh, the, the author that writes about getting things done says, that's as simple as it gets. Is if, you put, if you put your keys on top of that important piece of paper that you need the next day, because you know you need your keys, and it'll remind you about the paper. That's, that's part of this kind of uh, idea of practicing simple habits, simple things. And I bring this up because what strikes me as we've been studying Nehemiah together is it, he always has a simple plan, Nehemiah. You know, he, he had some kind of an idea of going into Jerusalem, what he needed to do with the wall. But he always has some simple plan. He's, his implementation, it's beautifully simple. Beautifully simple. And last week we talked about... Uh, the opposition that comes, because as Nehemiah rolls in to, to, to get this wall started, he, the God's laid on his heart to restore Jerusalem, the holiness of Jerusalem in some way, um, he comes in and he's faced with this opposition. We talked about that a little bit, and I want to kind of take a minute here to point out the difference, because we're going to spend two, almost like part B maybe a little bit, of last week's sermon, but, but it's a different approach he uses, and I think it's striking the difference. Last week, whenever he was faced with opposition, that would be someone who's actually working against what he's trying to do. And so, if you can imagine, as I'm going to try to do this illustration here, but, uh, you know, if I was going to move this speaker, I can just kind of move it, right? But if there was someone on the other side, if I was going to push it, and someone was on the other side, they were going to push against me, that was last week. And so when Nehemiah was pushing this thing, and there was, there was someone on the other side who was uh, pushing against him, his response was to pray, right, and then keep on working. That was the way he did it. 
He prayed to God and kept on working. And we talked about those prayers that he said, how he would actually pray that God would uh, bring a condemnation upon those people who were opposing his work. Why? Because he understood that his work was not his work, but God's work. And that's, that's something that, I don't know if you get at all sketchy on that. I get a little, what? You got to be pretty confident you know you're doing God's will if you can pray that God would, you know, bring uh, the, the sinfulness of the others down their heads if they're opposing your work. That's, uh, you got to be pretty convicted that you're doing the work of God. But Nehemiah had no problem with that because he was absolutely convinced he was doing the work of God in this wall. And so when the, the opposition came, the way he defeated it was prayer and work, prayer and work. And you can just repeat that forever in your life, and it would probably be a good thing, right? Pray, work, pray, work. This is the role, this is the example Nehemiah gives us, a simple plan. But this week we're talking about this, this instead of the external opposition, you see, instead of someone pushing against this, it's, it's, it's maybe people who are like, who are like uh, just reluctant to move, you know. It's, it's like trying to get this thing to start moving, you know. And he has a different model for that. It's not that anyone is over there oppress, uh, opposing the work anymore for Nehemiah. But rather there are people on his side who are resistant to the change, who are resistant to the change. And that's what we're talking about this week, overcoming resistance. And see, it's a difference in the way Nehemiah approaches it. I like this little graphic, by the way, today because it is Father's Day. So that was for fathers right there, a little rusty bolt. We get called in little situations, don't we, all the time? By the way, uh, one of my favorite things is opening the jar of jelly, you know? If you ever want to help, help your, uh, the man in your life feel, feel better about being a man, just, just do that once in a while. That's a good thing. I think Chris can open it all the time. She just, you know, lets me do that so I can feel manly and helpful in the kitchen. Anyway, the bolt's for you guys. So, so this idea of resistance, this overcoming this, this something has gotten stuck. It, 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 it used to function in a certain way, and it doesn't anymore. And this is what we're talking about this week with Nehemiah. It's out of chapter 5 of Nehemiah. I think it's page 338 in your books. That page number is wrong up there. 338 if you're using one of our Bibles. And we're going to read that together. But I want to tell you up front the difference in the way he does this. In, instead of the prayer and work, praying against and then doing the work, he listens, he teaches, and then he lives. And this is Nehemiah's response to this internal, op, uh, internal resistance, I should say, uh, the, the difference of a struggle that he has here. So let's turn to Nehemiah 5, and, um, and let's read that together. And before we get started, let's just take a moment to, uh, to pray for wisdom here. Father God, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, uh, your spirit who dwells among us all the time, Lord. The work that's done in our midst, the work that's done in our lives, uh, the work that's done through strangers that we don't even know, but somehow it impacts our lives, Lord. We give you glory and honor for all that. We pray that in this time, we've come here to set aside a, a specific amount of time and space in our lives, that you would uh, teach us and draw us into your word. That, uh, that we would gain wisdom and knowledge, and that not just for our heads, Lord, but for our lives, uh, that you would change our hearts and we would continue following you. And we give you praise and glory and honor for the work that you will do. Uh, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen. Nehemiah 5. So you, I want to, last week we talked about the opposition. That was chapter 4, and that's coming right on the heels. So right after Nehemiah talks about these folks who are opposing the work, of the wall, those who are pushing directly against what he was trying to do. He says this in chapter 5, verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. 
And some were saying, we and our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to stay, eat and stay alive, we must get grain. And others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. And still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as their sons, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been sold enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And so this is different than, than uh, Sambalet and Tobiah who are outside the gate who are mocking and making fun and trying to stop the work. This is something that happens in our lives, and it happens no differently than Nehemiah that does to us. There's this resistance internally. There's something going on, a struggle that's inside the walls that is within the builders themselves, and that he has to overcome. And the, right away in verse uh, 1, it says, a great outcry. And I love, we're not going to get into the uh, Hebrew per se, but I, the Hebrew word there, it's a crescendo. It means it started off as a small thing, right? we're doing the work, we're okay doing the work, but then all of a sudden, maybe there was some whispering at the wall, and then there was some grumbling at the wall, and then and all of a sudden, it's turned into this huge, like, kind of crescendo of an outcry from the husbands and wives who are working on the wall. And they have a few concerns here, and you can see them if you look with me. The, the first is they're numerous. Some of the, some of the, the folks have lots of daughters and sons, and, and they're not enough to eat. They're hungry. They literally can't get food on the table, and this is a problem. And then the others say, there's a second concern, we're having to mortgage our fields, right, to get grain. So again, I'm having to give up a lot just to eat while we're doing this work. And still others were saying we had to borrow against to pay the king's taxes, and, and then this whole weird thing happens with the borrowing with this idea of slavery comes right in the back door on that borrowing thing, right? And I don't think that we, we talk about, you know, talk about a simple plan, right? We've been doing this thing called FPU, which is Financial Peace University. We talk about really simple things you can do to fundamentally change how you interact with money in your life. And there, there's something here that's at, right on target with that because uh, the Proverbs say that the borrower is slave to the lender, Right? There's this truth that if you have to borrow money from somebody, you're enslaved. But this is a literal problem for the Hebrews. It's literally a problem that they don't own their stuff. And if someone else uh, has a right to their property, they are enslaved. They, their children can literally be taken as payment for part of that obligation. And so there, there's this real, real outcry that Nehemiah has to face here. And the first thing that we see is that he's confronted by injustice. And... That's just how I see this here. This is an opportunity for Nehemiah to do what, whatever he wants to do with it. He could have done a lot of things. And I'm not big on speaking about what's not in Scripture. But, but, he, but I want to see in verse 6 what he does here. So let's just follow along. And this is what it says. Nehemiah says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. And that anger, strikingly, is the exact same anger that Sanballat and Tobiah had when they heard the wall was going up, you see? Because there's something going on that Nehemiah knows is a real, real problem. And the first thing he does when he's faced with this injustice, and you can put the word sin there, by the way. I, I don't know if we're comfortable with that idea. We, we think of sins as things that we don't, that we do, we shouldn't do, right? It's like that list of things that you shouldn't ever do because someone said you shouldn't do those things. But there's sins of omission and sins of commission, right? And there's, it's just as sinful to, to, to be not doing things you should be doing and doing things you should not be doing. That cuts both ways. And that's called injustice. 
And I was thinking about that word injustice. You know, we, we see injustice in the world. We talk, by the way, compassion table, this is it. If you guys were uh, praying about sponsoring a child for Compassion International, this is the last day. The packets on the back table are unique. We're the only ones that have them. And when this is over, they go back. So um, if, you, if God's had that on your heart, I would, I would encourage you to keep praying about that. Because there's injustice in the world when there are kids who are starving to death and I have a weight problem. You see? That's a sin issue. We don't see it in those terms. The, the reason I don't think we see it in those terms is because we don't see the world through God's eyes. And we probably can't, right? But we get these glimpses once in a while. Scripture reveals things to us. Like God cares for the poor and the oppressed. This story of Nehemiah coming back and restoring Jerusalem, it is about the holy people of God, but it's about these people of God who were forgotten, who were neglected, who were mocked and ridiculed, left in their own kind of wasteland. And he comes back and he brings justice to his people. And when Nehemiah sees this injustice, he becomes angry, just like, like I said, Sambalat and Tobiah did, outside the wall. Well, what is driving his anger? And let's look on in verse 7, what he says here. He says, I pondered them in my mind. That's the charges for, you know. And then I accused the nobles and the officials, right? And so he thinks about it, and then he just goes right after him. And again, this is that Nehemiah that we love, the Nehemiah who is willing to speak the truth in all situations. And that's what justice demands, that's what justice demands of us. It doesn't demand that we speak the truth when it's convenient. It doesn't mean that we try to find the passages of Scripture that work for us so that we can be, feel better about ourselves. It demands that we speak the truth in all situations, and if we're caught in a situation that is ungodly or unworthy or unjust in any way, we have to own up to it right there on the spot. And Nehemiah is immediately outraged. Outraged. Man, you know, do you see the, do you see the model of Nehemiah coming out, out of other characters in the Bible? You, you see, I see Nehemiah like this kind of Moses character, you know, stuck between these people and this holy God. And when he comes in, just like that Moses, he, he's, he's pleading to, for God, for these folks, and he's fighting these enemies for these folks. But then when these folks start to do things internally that are unhealthy, he turns on those folks and he says, no, no, this can't stand. And so he's in that very same role. I hope you're seeing those things in Nehemiah. These are, these are biblical models for justice. Biblical models for righteousness that come out over and over again in Scripture. And Nehemiah is no different. He becomes angry and he accuses the nobles and the officials. And he, this is what he tells them. This is the accusation he lays. He says, I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. So the first thing is, he says, the problem is that you are taxing your people. You are, are you not taxing, but you are charging interest to your people for the loans. And he calls together a large meeting to deal with them. And, and this is a problem, right? Because this is the first thing he does. Is he, doesn't, he just calls this huge meeting in Jerusalem to deal with the issue. Now, I, I don't know how you feel about sin in your life. But the last thing I want, whenever someone comes alongside me and says, I think that this is a sinful piece of your life, an unjust part of your life, something's not right here, is for a, a community conversation about it. <laughs> That's the last thing I want. You know? He wasn't calling out individuals, but, but who wants that? Who wants to go to that meeting and hear these things? But this is his response. And he, uh, he calls together this kind of public address about things, and there's a reason this is coming up. But he chooses to address it in verse 6 and 7, and then in 7, he addresses it publicly. He comes out publicly and says, I'm going to deal with this. And for, so everyone can see what's going on here, and there's a reason he's doing this. 
And this is what he says. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and I said, as far as it's possible, we have bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles, right? So they're actually buying back slaves. This is what's happening. They're paying off someone else's debt to get these guys released and brought back into God's people. And he says, so now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. You see how this is kind of a real sick situation. They're literally selling their brothers into slavery so that Nehemiah and, his other, and the other Jews can buy them back from Gentiles because why? To make, to make something, to, to, to use the system in some way, right? To be wise, but not wise at the same time what they're doing here. And so they kept quiet, Nehemiah says. I bet they did at the public meeting because he sees this connection. He sees this big problem going on. Don't you see that the things that you do are affecting all the people of God and that as you are making, looking out for number one, looking out for yourself, looking out for your usury, looking out, make, all I'm asking for is what's mine. This was my money. I, I was kind enough to loan it to him. But it's this huge cycle that comes right back around and keeps them in the situation they're in. And Nehemiah is having no more of it. They kept completely quiet because they could find nothing to say to Nehemiah. And this is what he says. So I continued. And he says, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? By the way, man, there it is from Nehemiah. It's all about being before a holy God for him. It's not about how he looks to other people. It's not about how other people, other people think of him. It's all about being before God in our lives. This is a lesson we could use in our own lives. He says, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? And, and I and my brothers and my men are also lending people money and grain. So here they are. They're actually lending out their money. But let the exacting of usury stop. By the way, um, that exclamation mark means he emphatically said it. And it could mean he either, the NIV translates an exclamation mark. It could mean he either said, please, like that. Or he could have demanded it. And they chose to use the demanded verb. Some other translations say, he said, please let the, the use of usury stop. Please let that stop. But it's, it's more like, let it stop. It can't go on. And the next sentence is the same way. And he says, give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury that you are charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, and new wine and oil. And, and so I thought, now wait a minute. Okay, so here's Nehemiah, right? And he's all outraged, you know? He's like, you're, you're, you got this big picture of them being sold off into slavery. And, oh, yeah, how could you oppress your own brothers this way? Girl, you know, and you're going to have to give it back. And I'm just thinking the whole time, like, like, dude, this is bad, you know? This is not good at all. And do you see what it says there? The hundredth part. Who's a math with? What does that mean? That means they were getting about 1% interest rates, which is pretty good, isn't it? And then I thought, wait a minute, man. 1% was getting people into slavery? I wonder. I wonder. Was it really a problem? I wonder. It would seem to me that 1% on your money is very, very reasonable, Right? And so how in the world could you at 1% of your earnings, it literally means if you made a dollar, take a penny out and drop it. A penny. But these people were outraged. They were crying out. 
They couldn't, oh, what are we doing? And Nehemiah's angry and responding over the 1%. I want to take a break here. I want to roll back for a second. Because see, Nehemiah has, has other things. There's a bigger picture going on. All this stuff about the wall in Jerusalem, there's something bigger going on that the people don't yet see. And I'm going to turn myself to Deuteronomy 23. 19 through 20. I'm just going to read this to you. This is, this is in the first five books. Oh, it's up here. Look at it. We're going to look at it together right here. It says, Do not charge your brother interest, whether on money or food or anything else that may earn interest. You may charge a foreigner interest. That would be the Gentiles. That's us, folks. But not a brother Israelite, so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you do, you put your hand to in the land that you're entering to possess. This is a command they got before they went, and if they were going to be blessed, they should not be charging their brothers for lending. And so what does that mean? Well, it's a double problem. It's a problem because the people perceive it that way, but it's a bigger problem because God said, never, never, never do that. Why would they not know that? Why wouldn't Israelites know that? Because they had forgotten the law. They'd forgotten all about it. They'd forgotten the holiness. They'd forgotten their chosenness. They'd forgotten everything that God had commanded them. And this is just one more example. Who, who are they behaving? Who are they, what were they doing? They were acting as if they were just like anybody else. It makes no difference. They were treating everyone the same. But they were behaving this way. It's just kind of a continuation of this idea of the walls being down, you see. They were just, just perpetuating this behavior that God had said a long time ago was unjust, unworthy, unholy, shouldn't be done. But here they were practicing it and feeling absolutely peaceful about that while they're trying to restore this wall. It's a return to the law. And Nehemiah seems to understand this about it. But the time has not yet come for the rest restoration of the law completely. That's coming later in Nehemiah. But isn't it interesting that he senses it and he calls them out on it? So it's, I think double, some, I'm trying to get to the nuance here of this 100% or this 1% because you would think it's just so weird to be complaining about 1% interest, right? It's very, it seems very fair. Well, God said you should never do it, first of all. So that's the law. You don't do it. And then the second thing is, you know, maybe there's something going on. I mean, maybe they're outraged, they're crying is fake. Or maybe they've been so beat up, so kind of kicked down, so run over by, by the Sambalats and Tobias of the world, the enemies, the true enemies, that when a brother even does one little thing, man, it hurts. You know? It's like if we're all in this work together, and we're all about getting this thing done, and then all of a sudden the guy sitting next to me on the wall is in any way taking advantage of me, man, it just feels, it feels way worse than all the oppression from all the enemies in the world. You see what's happening? There's this infighting going on. And Nehemiah listens to it. He knows it's injustice, and he demands that it stop, or he begs that it stop. And he reminds the people of who they are. Let's read on, see what he says. Verse 12, look how they respond to this. The hundredth part, he says, stop charging it and give it all back, right? 
And this is their response. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand any more from them. We will do exactly as you said. Now, that's a remarkable response. If you've ever called someone out on their sin or injustice, very few people, I can't do that. I have to have at least a few weeks to process how wrong I am before I can ever go back and say, oh, you're so right. (laughs) You know, I would say, honestly, there's only been one time in my life where I've flat out been convicted of being absolutely wrong, and in that very moment of time, turned like that and said, oh my God, I'm wrong. And that's who I was talking to was God. Because that conviction was so deep in my soul that I just go, oh, I was wrong. You're right. But to hear it from a brother, it would take some time to process. But these guys says, we will give it back and we will not demand anything more from them. We'll do exactly what you said. And then this is, this, so Nehemiah's not done yet, though, because the next step he does, so he does a public hearing on it, right? He gets it out in the open because it's a teachable moment. Here he's teaching. It's a teachable moment for everyone to hear what is and is not proper for this new people who are being restored to holiness in Jerusalem. And this is what he says. I summoned the priests and made, <laughs> look at the words here, and made the nobles and officials swear an oath to do what they had promised. Now, do you, do you, how does that fit? You know, not only do you agree to do it, but then this guy says, oh, great, let's get the pastor in here. Put your hand on the book and swear. He does more than that. Let's read on. He says, so I made him swear an oath to do what they had promised, right? And he says, and I also shook out the folds of my robe. And this is what it reminded me of, and I forgot. I'm like Dennis the Menace, by the way. I, I have, if you ever see my pockets, right, they're ridiculous. But I have all, he, he literally took his robes and went like, like this, you know. He's just like, and this is what he says to him. After they've sworn to do what they said, he took out, shook out the folds of his robe, and he said, in this way, just like this, may God shake you out of his house and possessions, every person here who does not keep the promise they've just made. So should such a man be shaken out and emptied. Man, how would that feel? It reminds me, it's like that, you know? It's like you're lint, like you're useless to God if you won't keep your promises. And he says, may you be treated just like, may God just shake you out if you won't keep your word of what you've sworn today. And look at what it says. And the whole assembly said, amen, right? Man, you, you know, I, we're kind of a silent body here, right? We don't usually say amen. Amen? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We, we're kind of quiet. But well, that's maybe a good thing sometimes because when you say amen, you're saying that's right. You know, I love, I love churches that talk back myself. I love to be in those bodies. I'm not very comfortable doing it, but I love it. Go on, you know. Let, that's right. Let's go. Uh, and all those kind of affirmations. I'm on, you know. Uh, my favorite, by the way, I got to tell us. My favorite, I was, I was sitting in this huge body of folks, and there was this dude in the second row. And this is all he said. Well... And the pastor preached for us, he'd say, well, and I thought, I kept hearing that guy, and I kept thinking, I couldn't preach in front of him because I'd run out. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying, man, I'm trying to get there. Uh, but, but they say, in the congregation, as a body, they say, amen. They just say, so be it. Yes. And they praise Yahweh. That's what it says there. And they praise the Lord. And look at what it says. The people did exactly as they had promised. 
So this is the first thing that Nehemiah does. As he responds to the injustice, the sin, he does not let it stand on the people of God. He will not let it be there with the holy people of God. And then he, he gets them this place of commitment and exercising, and they actually do. They, I bet they did do what they thought, right? I bet they did do what they said they would do. Man, you know, if you get, if you get enough feet to your fire, I wrote my notes here. This is what I wrote. I wrote, he built in accountability. Too many times built-in accountability means I'm going to call you to account, right? Take an oath before God. Scary stuff. See, now all of a sudden, if your accountability is not before another brother or sister, you can't hide anymore, can you? If you say, God is my witness, I will never or I will always blank. There's not a lot of places to hide from that. I bet you do do your work. I bet you do do what you're called to do. And this is the pledge he had them swear. And they did exactly, exactly what they swore they would do. They stopped this kind of internal struggle that was going on. And all this stuff goes away. But I want you to look in 14 at what he says because it's beautiful, beautiful. And I, I just love this about Nehemiah because he's writing this story. There's this external opposition. Then there's this internal resistance. And they're just getting started. And the work is threatened. And Nehemiah knows that they're called to do this work. And he says, no, this is not who we are. We are going forward. And we're going forward in a different way than we've been before. And this is the lesson. He's changed the rules of engagement. He says, this is all changing. And the walls of holiness being before a holy God, this is exactly what it brings into our lives, that the things you always assume to be okay, the things you always thought, well, that's up to me to decide, is no longer up for you to decide in your life. And that's a struggle for any Christian. Because we are not our own counselor. We're not keeping our own counsel. We're accountable to the holy God. And this is where they said, Look what he says in 14. He says, moreover, and I love that word moreover. It's like, it's like even more than the story about the justice in Jerusalem. Even more than how I told these folks, how I taught them. You see what he did? A teachable moment. He brought them all together and said, this is not how we behave. Have you ever heard that in the house? We said it before. Have you ever heard that in the house where mom will say to the child, this isn't how we behave in this house. Okay, this is the big version of that Nehemiah is doing. We don't, but he means it. We don't, you know. And this is the proof, because the problem with that, with parents sometimes when you hear that, is you know that those kids are seeing that somewhere, right? Oh, God help us. God help us. Because the behaviors that drive us crazy in our kids are probably being instilled by us. And that's the problem for a parent. It's Father's Day, right? Listen to what Nehemiah says. Moreover, even more than what I taught them, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, right? When was that? That's whenever he first was called. He first heard the word of Jeru in Jerusalem, uh, at, with the king about what was going on in Jerusalem. He says, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, he's talking about those people, the Jews, until the 32nd year, 12 years, right? And this hasn't happened yet. 12 years Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. You see what's happening there? Not only did he teach this thing about being, not taking advantage of your brothers and sisters because the work is a hand, the work we are doing together, what we're called to, we're the holy people of God. But he says, I never ate the food, nor my brothers was allotted to the governor in 15. But the earlier governors, for instance, preceding me, the guys came before I did, 
They placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. And their assistants, that's an interesting word, by the way, assistants there, also lorded it over the people. It actually kind of means their sons, their children. It's like anyone who is even close to any authority in the governance would just lord it over the people under them. They would abuse the people from their position. But out of, look at Nehemiah, out of reverence for God, Nehemiah says, I didn't act that way. And this is what I did instead. I devoted myself to the work on this wall. And all my men were assembled there for that work, and we did not require any, acquire any land. And this is what he says. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. And in spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on the people. And this is the second part, how to overcome resistance, right? The first was to, to hear it, to, to make a decision that this is not how we behave and kind of create this new environment that they're going to work into. But the second, and I believe the most powerful thing Nehemiah did in 12 years there as governor is he led by example, Right? That's why that word rings so hollow with our kids sometimes. We don't talk that way in this house. And then I always, in my mind, think somebody does. We don't climb on furniture like that around here. Somebody does. Right? It's the hardest thing as a parent. Because good, bad, or indifferent, we are modeling behavior that our children will grow into. That's just the way it is. And Nehemiah here leads Jerusalem by example. He says, I didn't claim any of my rights. You know, we are a rights-based society. Oh, I got a right to this, I got a right to that. And Nehemiah says, I cast off every right I had. I wanted, I wanted nothing to hinder the work that we had together here. I'll show you this picture I found. Uh, this would be not what Nehemiah, this is not Nehemiah's role. Can you pull it up for me? And this guy says, Believe me, fellas, everyone from the fair one down is equally valued member of this team. <laughs> He's saying it from up there. See, this is not how Nehemiah led the people of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was right down there, just dragging with them. Anything he could do to lessen the burden. You know, oil in the wheels, pushing them along. Nehemiah was a leader with the people. And more, more than what he said, what he did, what he did, instructed the folks in Jerusalem. And then in 16 it says, he held the work that they were doing together higher than anything else. The work that they were doing was more important than everything else that they thought was important. They, they're looking out for their future. They're planning. You know, one of the things we're struggling with in financial pieces, where's that boundary for us and what we're called to do and worrying about the, our money issues. And there, that's what he's, there's this kind of thing happening where he says the work is more important than anything else. You think you're planning for the future, but you're not because God has work to do among us. And this is the plan. And they worked the plan. They followed God's leading. And then he gave generously of himself. I mean, you know, that's a lot of people to feed for 12 years. 150 people, you know, for 12 years. Plus others. I mean, he's just saying everyone was eating at my table. And I had a right to more than that. But I let it all go. My prayer today, my, pr my prayer is that we could be those people 
you know, we talk about that consistency between what we say and what we do. I, I loved, I've always been compelled by that idea. I, I've always been compelled by the prayer closet idea that it's not what you do in the front of, of, front of people that matters. If you ever have a hard time, uh, when someone says, hey, you want to pray? You know, and you feel like you're getting sold out a little bit, maybe, you know, <laughs> you know, why can't you pray? God's right here, you know. Because it seems like such a public display of this false holiness the reason I'm so drawn to a prayer closet life is because that's where real work is done in your life. And this is what happens. It's this idea of absolutely knowing that what we're trying to do together is way more important than everything else and knowing that in some fundamental way. We have these, um, uh, I'm going to throw a couple of these out here now. Uh, this, this, this next step stuff here, it's all about example, being example, you know, leading by example. And these passages of Scripture we have here. But look at that one, number three. Ask God to reveal inconsistency between my belief and my behavior. I mean, that just cuts right to the bone, doesn't it? Because words are so cheap. Words are so cheap. And Nehemiah led by example. And that becomes a prayer. Oh, God, that, that, that I might be able to live out. You know, talk about one on hundredth of one percent. I mean, if you could live out one percent of what God desires in your life for you, if you could earnestly respond to that one thing, just do that thing that God's just dying for you to do. It's not for his benefit. He doesn't need our work. But he desires our hearts, and he desires us to be who we're created to be. This is the model Nehemiah gives us. And look at this last thing here. Nehemiah trusted God to bless his faithfulness. This, you know, there are some of these little stop-off points for Nehemiah. And in uh, chapter, uh, verse 19, there's one right here. It says, remember me with favor, O my God. This is Nehemiah talking to God. This is a prayer again. Remember me with favor, O God, for all I've done for these people. I love the language there, right? I always love when he still says these people, like he's somehow removed, you know. But, and we read that and you think, what are you, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? But isn't it interesting? Because it's a pure act of faithfulness on Nehemiah's part. For all he's done and all he's claimed to do and all he's hoped to do and all he's led the people to do and all he's taught and all he's changed and all the work and the walls going up and everything else, in that moment, his response is, oh God, please look on with favor. Just, just show me a little favor for all I've done for these people. He doesn't expect a thing from those who are around him. That's a hard way to live your life. So many of us, you know, we long for that affirmation. We wait for other people to say, hey, good job, good job. But Nehemiah here in this one little verse where we can easily say to him, you know, oh, Nehemiah, if only you had not desired to be recognized for your good works, it'd be so much better for you. He's saying, I don't want to hear accolades from anybody else. I want favor with the holy God. And man, if we would live our lives that way, those prayer clauses, you know, those, those things that people can't see in our lives that we do, those inner places in our lives that God wants to restore us, to make us right, to make us whole, to make us pure. If we would let him work in those places in our lives and we would say, God, that you would have favor, not anyone else. Man, that's where holiness lives right there. I want to kind of bring this forward a little bit here. We're, going to have, we're having communion today. And there's this, there's this idea of examples being set in the scriptures. And I'm going to turn to John 13, 15. 
you don't have to turn. You can if you want to, but you don't have to turn with me. John 13, 15. Maybe I am. Did I, I don't know if I had it up there or not. Jesus says, oh, I, I, yeah, Jesus says, uh, I, I've given you this as an example. I'm going I'm to find the scripture. I want to read it, right? 13, 15, listen what it says. I have set you an example, Jesus speaking, that you should do as I have done for you. This is Jesus' own words. It's kind of funny this week. Uh, I, was, I was out picking strawberries, and someone else who was in the strawberry patch with Chris and I saw I was there, and they jokingly yelled across, you know, after we were picking for like 20 minutes, you know, what sermon illustrations is this going to become? And they gave me some ideas. Maybe uh, seek and you shall find. Maybe uh, harvesting the fruit. Maybe none of that. And I, I thought the moment, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, I'm, you know. I got home, and uh, I had been wearing sandals out in the field. And so I got home at the dinner table. You ever did that? And you, I just kicked off my sandals. And Chris goes, oh, man. Are you going to bathe? And then all of a sudden, this came rushing back because I've been reading the example that Christ set for us. This is when he washes his disciples' feet. These, these feet, they were so gross. And he washed them and he says, I've given you this as an example that you might do exactly as I have done for you. And that's crazy, right? But maybe more to the point for us because we're not Jesus. And we say that to everybody, right? Don't follow us because we're not Jesus. Follow God. Follow the living God. He will lead you. But look at what it says here. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to turn there as well. 1 Corinthians 11, at the very beginning, I'm just going to read this. You don't have to turn there. It's really fast. He says, um, follow my example, Paul says to us, as I follow the example of Christ. And this is something that I want to say about leading by example. We are following Christ, and any example that we set for others is hopefully God willing, and if we are in it, is hopefully an example of how Christ is moving in our lives. And this is that place we have to get comfortable leading from. The leading as, as a follower of Christ, but as an example to others. And if you don't think that people are watching you as you follow Jesus, the risen Savior, they are. And every little disconnect, it's like that 1%, every little thing that, that, that doesn't set right, it's just a little, ah, oh, what's, what's, why is that there? What's going on with that? Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, and, and I just want to say one more thing here. We're going we're gonna to wrap and go to communion. But I just want to say that uh, um, thank God for those who are leading by example. You, you see, we have a, a culture that we, I talked about before, this me and Jesus you know, in the woods kind of idea in America. It's this rugged individualism, which is great. You know, I, I can take care of my own, you know. Um, I earn what I got, you know. But the truth is that if I'm honest about every spot where I've sought out God's work, God's holiness, every ch chance I've been challenged, really challenged, you know, uh, I was talking about when I res repented with God, immediate repent repentance. yeah. But someone had modeled behavior for me that made me draw into question my choices in my life. Made me draw into question what I was doing enough to actually dare to read scripture and challenge God. And it changed everything. It changed everything. And so I just want to say today, we have Father's Day, right? It's a special day for fathers. But, but I, you know, even beyond that, fathers, if there's been a, a, a man in your life, if it's your dad, 
wow, that's awesome, who's just really, really mentored, really led you by how he behaved, the choices he made in his whole life. You know, what a, what a great opportunity to, uh, to affirm that, that model. But maybe it's somebody else. Maybe there's somebody else in your life that's just led by example for you and has, has you know, that's gotten you to a place that you would never have gotten without them as a model for you. What a great opportunity it is to, to encourage them as a, as a model and then to aspire to it because it's scary stuff. It's scary stuff to think that people are watching our example. So it's just a word of praise. Let's pray together today. Father God, we thank you for, uh, for your, your undeniable witness to us. All the ways that, that you reveal your truth, your love, your mercy, your grace. We see it in scripture. We see it in prayer. We see it in our personal relationship with you. We know that that's so important that, that we can talk and hang out and just be present with you and know that you're with us and, you know, you love us all the time. We also, though, thank you today, Lord, for the examples that you've sent. The whole, the whole Bible is filled with these great stories of people who've come to lead differently, to live differently. And, uh, Father, we just want to take a moment and say thanks for that. Thanks for those people in our lives that maybe come out of the corner, you know, come out of these places you think you don't see it. You know, we don't see it there, Lord. But they come out and they, they show us something that, that, that reveals a sin in our life or a, 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 something that we're not right with. And I just want to offer today a prayer, a praise, a thanks for that, for those who would come and, and dare to lead, dare to, dare, to, dare to follow you in such a way that they're between us and you on their path, that we could see them, Lord. And we just thank you for them and thank you today for fathers and all, and all that and the, 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 their role in our lives, the models that they are. Ultimately, Lord, we know you get the glory. Any good found in us, Lord, is a response to the, to the greatness found in you. And uh, we just give you praise and honor. Today, Lord, uh, I'm also going to say that if, if, if there are a place in our lives, Lord, do we dare? Do we, can we be that way? Can we be like Nehemiah and his compatriots who would dare to say, Lord, I, I want to be different. I'm not going to live that way anymore. Father God, we trust your Holy Spirit dwelling among us to, to convict us of those things. Use us in any way you would have us to be used, Lord. We just thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that's, I hope that's where you are today, you know. Um, I hope we can get to a place together where, where if there's something that needs worked on, we would just be honest and work on it, you know. It's, a, it's kind of a scary thing. I'm going to turn, I want to turn real quick here to Second, Second Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul, when he was writing about uh, Jesus. He, this is what he says. He says, Because you know the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, you see, that's the, that's the Nehemiah's model here, though he had a right to so much more, though he had, he had everything, everything he could ever want, everything he ever needed, yet for our sakes, Paul says, Jesus became poor so that through his great poverty we might become rich. 
And that's the testimony of Jesus Christ on the cross. This great holy God would, would dare to, to come down and, and just flat out give everything, demand nothing, and then go to a cross that we deserved. Paul uh, writes in, in 1 Corinthians about this, the Lord's Supper, and he says, when he said, do what, do what, you know, do what I do, because I'm doing what Jesus did, Paul says, for I have received from the Lord what I have also given to you. And this is what we're doing here tonight, today. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he said, every time, every time you do this, 